Hello, welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine here at the University of Saskatchewan. Before we start today's podcast, I just want to repeat a couple of quick advertisements for some important opportunities for Canadian cow-calf producers to participate in some ongoing projects that are both sponsored by the Beef Cattle Research Council. The 2023 Canadian Cow-Calf Survey is an online questionnaire set up to collect data to help understand longer-term trends in production methods and efficiencies. It only takes about 30 to 60 minutes of your time, and it hopes to collect credible information directly from beef cattle producers to help the BCRC identify research priorities and information gaps, develop provincial benchmarks, and examine changes over time that impacts farms and ranches all across Canada. This project is going to help inform research and extension strategies that have the greatest potential to benefit Canadian cattle producers, and the more responses they get, the better decisions they can make. You can find the link on the show notes at our podcast website, www.bchn.transistor.fm, or go to the BCRC website, and you will find links there. The second opportunity is a research project that we're working on here out of our college at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine, along with colleagues in some other universities across Canada. The Canadian Cow-Calf Health and Productivity Enhancement Network is looking for cow-calf herds willing to participate in this study all across Canada. This project is related to some of our cow-calf surveillance network projects that we've done in the past and we've talked about previously on the podcast, and it's coordinated by my colleague Dr. Cheryl Waldner. This project is hoping to develop performance benchmarks and best management practices to meet the specific needs of different types of cow-calf operations across Canada. They need both commercial and seed stock cow-calf herds that have at least 30 calving cows. You have to keep basic production records and have access to email and a relationship with your local veterinarian. This project will hope to collect some production records and have the participating producers answer a survey every year on different management practices. You can contact Jace Fawson, who is the project coordinator. His email is c3h.pen at usask.ca, or you can phone him at 306-966-7870 if you're interested in participating, and he can give you more details. I'll put those links in the show notes as well. This week, my guest is a familiar voice for regular listeners. I'm joined again by Dr. Greg Penner, who's a professor in the Department of Animal and Poultry Science here at the University of Saskatchewan. Greg is the U of S Centennial Enhancement Chair in Ruminant Nutritional Physiology, and he's a prolific researcher. He speaks at extension and producer meetings all over the country, and he's an expert on beef and dairy cattle nutrition with a wealth of knowledge to share. Today, our topic is the impact of the maturity of cereal-based forages at harvest. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast, Greg. Thanks for being here for your third appearance. And maybe we'll start uh, by having you tell the audience a little bit about your background again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again, John. Um, I grew up in the Saskatoon area, really grew up in the city, but had a lot of influence and exposure to our family farms. Uh, So I spent a lot of time on my family dairy farm. Uh, My dad also had beef cattle and sheep. So I saw all aspects of ruminants. And then I was fortunate to come to the U of S here and really got excited and and stimulated learning more about animal science. And, you know, one of the lucky people that got to come back home and and work and hopefully help 
the Saskatchewan beef and forage industries. Yes, you've been doing a lot of neat work and different projects. And one of those projects we want to talk about is your work with harvest maturity for forages that are often used in green feed or swath grazing, things like that. Let's start by talking about what we mean when we talk about green feed. Actually, that was a new term for me when I moved to Saskatchewan. I had to learn what that meant. Uh, so let's just make sure everybody knows what we're talking about. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a new term either when we uh, initially tried to publish this work. That was a comment we got back is what is green feed? Um, so in Saskatchewan, I think it's well known. I think in Alberta as well. Uh, but we're really talking about cereal hay. Uh, so we're cutting cereal crops, annual cereal crops at a relatively immature stage historically, uh, allowing those crops to dry in the field. Uh, and then once adequately dry, uh, we bale that or allow cattle uh, to graze it in a swath grazing system. And maybe we should add, sometimes that's done intentionally. We're growing those crops just for that use, but sometimes that's a side effect of weather or something where the crop is not viable for other uses. Yeah, we certainly have seen that in the last few years with uh, the drought uh, challenges that we've had where there's a lot of salvage crops. And I think this the, the topic we're talking about today fits well into the salvage crop uh, concept. But really, the, the impact is the same. You're taking that annual cereal, making sure it's adequately dry from a preservation standpoint and then consolidating it in some way into a bale or some other form. Uh, most of our audience are probably familiar with the different terms for cereal maturity. Uh, I'm not completely clear on them, so you're going to have to straighten me out. Maybe we should start by talking about those different stages that the cereal crops go through as they mature. Yeah, so when we're talking about green feed and, and harvest, or maybe even silage, which I think is relevant to this discussion, there's a number of uh, stages that are commonly talked about. If you're looking at winter cereals, you might hear the terms boot or head emergence. And really, we're talking about that reproductive component of the crop. Uh, at boot stage, it's still within the flag leaf, so you don't see the reproductive uh, component is still hidden by that flat flag leaf head elongation, you start seeing emergence of that reproductive head uh, coming out of the flag leaf. The next one we probably hear most about would be flowering, and that's really the, the blooming time for cereals. We often don't think of them as flowers or having a flowering process, but um, especially with crops like uh, fall rye, we think about that a lot because that's the pollination window. That's the time when things like ergot would be infecting the crop. And so that's another critically important stage. And then for cereals like barley and oat, we often talk about the uh, development of the kernel within the seed uh, or within the head. So we're um, generally evaluating whether that kernel is uh, fully developed or partially developed. So we think about a milky stage. So when you squeeze those individual kernels, you'll often see a watery or maybe a whitish a tinged liquid, and that would tell you we're in we're in a milky stage. As that kernel starts to advance in maturation, the milky uh, component will start to solidify. So it's really that starchy and endosperm that's starting to form, uh, and it'll become soft, more like uh, a bread dough. So that when you squeeze it, it might even leave an impression, and you can alter its shape quite easily. 
And then as it continues to mature, we'll move from that soft dough stage into a hard dough stage, which would look a lot more like uh, mature uh, grain, but the plant could still be uh, a bit green and certainly the dry matter content of that kernel uh, is um, a little bit lower than you would see for fully mature kernels. So I'm assuming there's already recommendations for what stage of maturity to harvest these cereal crops for as forages. Why do we need to look at this again or reconsider it? Yeah, there's there's a pile of recommendations. But when I started here at the U of S, this is actually one of the first projects we got funded. So we've been working on this for a while. Um, when I started looking at those recommendations, they're all designed for silage. And the requirements for silage are quite a bit different than we need for dry preserved forages. So the, the first thing we would need for silage is we need adequate sugar content in the plant. We need adequate moisture content. And we're really designing a system to try to maximize fiber digestibility. It's really been designed for dairy cattle rather than beef cattle. And so all of those conditions are met at the stages of recommendation for the various crops. And that would be late milk for oat uh, and soft or early dough for barley uh, and wheat. The reason we started looking at this is uh, when we're dry preserving, I, I don't necessarily want those characteristics um, because a high moisture content uh, probably takes longer for the plant to wilt. And if the plant is still wilting, the cells within the plant are still alive. And so they're using that available sugar to, uh, to provide their cellular uh, needs. And when they do that, it decreases the nutrients that are available for cattle. The other thing that's really important is we know that as plants mature, they still increase in dry matter yield. So we're cutting the plant before we've gotten to maximum yield. And old data back in the 90s, uh, led by Vern Baer and at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, showed digestibility was not negatively affected by letting these plants be more mature. So uh, one part of a study that never really got followed up, and I thought this is a huge opportunity uh, for the beef cattle industry in Western Canada. Yes, and it's a very common feed here in Western Canada, so it's an important issue because we want to maximize the value of that feed for our cows, especially in years like this when feed may be short. Let's start with barley. Uh, it's a fairly common green feed. Can you explain what happens to the nutrients in barley depending on when we harvest it or what stage we harvest it at? Yeah, that's that's a great um a great question. And one of the things we saw is when we harvest barley at more advanced maturity. So in our study, we harvested at, um, at head emergence. So really just after the boot stage, as that reproductive uh, stem was starting to elongate, we harvested at uh, soft dough, which was the recommendation at the time for barley. We went to late dough or hard dough, and then we did the salvage approach where the crop was fully mature. So we're really dealing with cereal grain and straw at, at that point. What we saw is as that plant matured, crude protein really was not affected much uh, for barley. It was pretty static across all of those stages of maturity. The NDF content or the filling fiber component of the barley actually goes down 
with advancing maturity, which is something most people probably don't think about. But the reason it goes down is the starch content goes up. And so all these nutrient components are evaluated and reported as a percentage of 100. So if one component goes up, something else has to drop. The other important change we need to think about is the calcium to phosphorus ratio. And as these plants approach maturity, they get even closer to a one-to-one. So they might start off at 1.2 to 1 calcium to phosphorus, and they move to 1 to 1. So it, it could impact mineral supplementation strategies and the need for a little bit more calcium. That's interesting, and that's important when we're feeding those pregnant cows. Let's go on and, and talk about some of the other green feeds, oats. What, what does it look like when you start harvesting at those different times to get the same results? Yeah, we saw almost the exact same response response with uh, the four uh, crop types we evaluated in the in individual study or the initial study. And then Bart Lardner ran a field scale study and he evaluated uh, oat, barley and triticale and, and saw very similar responses for those crops. So the general response that we see are small or no changes for crude protein. In some cases, wheat and oat crude protein drops a little bit as that plant advances in maturity. NDF always drops uh, as starch increases. And probably what's more important to, to think about is actually the yield of these nutrients. And so when we look at the yield of nutrients, the yield of fiber actually was not reduced, it was increased. The yield of starch was markedly increased. The yield of protein was uh, either not affected or slightly increased. And that was one of the contexts we wanted to put into this project because we're looking at maximizing carrying capacity per unit of, of land. So we need to look at yield of nutrients or yield of digestible nutrients rather than trying to have the maximal nutrient composition and maximal nutrient digestibility, which is targeted for dairy cattle. Right. Uh, and then you took this to the next level and looked at the animal level of feeding those green feeds harvested at different maturities. So what happens in terms of intakes and digestibility once you give it to the cow? Yeah, so we, we ran a, a few different studies to be very confident that the responses were observed aren't going to negatively affect our cow-calf producers. So the first work we did was in the metabolism barn obviously uh, not normal production situations, but allow us to very precisely measure responses. And there's a couple really important responses that we observed. First of all, dry matter intake was rarely affected. Um, so it didn't matter if we were feeding that uh, late milk or hard dough, there was really no difference in dry matter intake. The other thing that was really critical was, is that starch going to be available? So as that plant matures, we get more starch. That starch could contribute to a lot of energy for the cattle, but only if they're able to digest it. And we know for barley grain, if we don't process it, a big chunk of it, probably 20 to 30% will show up in the feces. So we were worried about whether that barley would actually be digestible. In our metabolism studies, we had over 95% starch digestibility. So fantastic digestibility for that starch, telling us that cows are able to process that barley when it's part of a whole plant 
and they're able to open up those kernels, allow the bugs in the rumen to digest that starch. So really what we saw was actually improved uh, utilization in the metabolism work. And that allowed us to go back to the provincial government and request additional funding to evaluate field performance settings. Really the same thing happened in the field, uh, which is fantastic. I love when we can replicate research results across different conditions. No real meaningful change in dry matter intake between our, our soft dough and hard dough um, crops. And this was oat, barley, and triticale evaluated independently. Um, we saw actually increased utilization of the forage when hard dough forages were fed. We saw um, increased carrying capacity for those hard dough crops. And as a result, there's a substantial reduction in feeding cost simply because you have more cattle grazing on the same amount of land for a longer period of time. What about performance results in the cows in that study? Did you measure that and what did you see? Yeah, there was concern as you have those plants being more mature, you're getting closer to a barley straw feeding system, but there was absolutely no effect on body condition score. Um, Bart's group also evaluated calf birth weight and there was no effect on calf birth weight. Although when we fed the crops, we wouldn't really anticipate there to be uh, a major impact, but he did confirm uh, that there was no effect. So it doesn't look like there's any negative effects. Again, you still need to monitor those responses for cattle out in swath grazing systems in particular, but certainly when we're swath grazing or we're feeding whole bales, I think there's a, a clear opportunity to allow those plants to advance in maturity, increase yield of degradable nutrients uh, from that land, uh, and increase carrying capacity through that process. Just a quick side question. Did you have to change the mineral program as you went up there in that trial, or did you leave that fairly consistent across those groups? In that study, we left the mineral program uh, consistent so we can feed a wide range uh, in terms of the calcium to phosphorus ratio. And so we made sure that even the low had more calcium than required to ensure that the high uh, or late maturity um, had more calcium than required. So I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about kind of the outcomes and, and the potential applications. And we've run a number of ADOPT programs throughout the province, um, working with the Saskatchewan Forage Council. Uh, and we're starting to see some adoption uh, in different locations with producers as well. We should just mention the ADOPT program is on-farm demonstration type trials that, that we sometimes... Uh, reform along with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture here in our province. So everyone knows what that is. You briefly talked about economics, but you know, how big is that economic benefit or how, how would we measure that? Yeah. In, so in the field grazing work that, that Bart led, Kathy Larson was uh, a very active collaborator and Kathy uh, did a great job summarizing our production costs and evaluating the cost differential. When we compare our soft dough and our hard dough, we were right around $2.80 a day for our soft dough treatment for in-field feeding costs. And so it seems high, but I think those are 
realistic costs under current situations. The hard dough treatment had a cost that was about 40 cents a day less. So a pretty substantial reduction on a per cow basis simply by delaying when you swath that crop by 10 to 15 days. So it's not a big change, but it is a management decision that that has to be made. Yes, and we'd probably see similar benefits or close to similar benefits with bale, baled uh, crop as well. Yeah, I think baled crop, uh, you, you get the same response, providing you're feeding it in a bale grazing scenario. And this kind of brings out um, the trade-off with this practice. I think there are situations where it's really beneficial. So whole bale feeding programs, I think it's beneficial. Swath grazing programs, we've shown it's beneficial. I'm not so sure or not so confident it would be as beneficial if you're using a bale processor because now we could be separating those kernels from the rest of the forage, increasing risk for waste and potentially not allowing those cows to chew those barley kernels like they would if we're dealing with um, whole forages. The other situation where we need to be careful and, and we've been in that situation is in drought conditions. So if there is no kernel development on crops, um, really what we would be do is doing is producing straw. There's no starch to offset that fiber. So we have to be aware of the implications of how we're going to use those forages and the growing conditions. If we're in high drought conditions and there's no barley kernel formation, don't wait. Uh, you're not going to see an improvement in yield or digestible nutrient yield. Allowing it to advance in maturity in that case is just going to produce more straw and lower quality forages. And likewise, I think we need to follow up and look at bale processing systems and verify whether that starch is digestible. Well, that's great advice, Greg. Uh, any sort of final recommendations, conclusions, wrap up that we can do for producers that might be using cereal crops for green feed or swath grazing here in the next, uh, next few years? Yeah, so we've released this to the ministry. We've also released it through the Saskatchewan Forage Council. Uh, the recommendations coming out of our work are suggesting a hard dough stage for oat and barley and triticale. Um, definitely positive responses. We also recommend a hard dough stage for wheat. If we are dealing with warm season crops like millet, um, probably need to go a bit earlier. Uh, millet has a tendency to drop its seeds. And so if you wait till a hard dough or even a more mature stage, we're actually going to get a reduction in dry matter yield because that valuable component is going to be laying on the ground. So millet, we're not going to modify uh, the stage of recommendation. We're going to go to that early pod or early uh, grain stage. Um, but for the small cereals, we should be able to defer them from late, late milk or soft dough all the way to a hard dough. That's still not a ripe crop. It's still before we would be harvesting for grain. Um, and that's really, again, to prevent any kernel shatter or uh, seed head droppage. Well, thanks, Greg. I learned a lot in this episode. I really appreciate uh, you being here and uh, appreciate all the great advice and the research work you're doing uh, in your lab. Thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. That's our show for this week. I want to thank each of you for listening to the podcast and for all the feedback. 
please subscribe, rate, or review the podcast wherever you download them. Thanks again to my guest, Dr. Greg Panner, and thank you as well to all our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. If you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email me at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. That's bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care until next time.